Now that we've got a good profitable business running, I'm so glad we didn't raise capital, especially now going into, you know, this uncertain time with recession and, yeah. and the capital markets drying up. You know, that's one of the reasons why we're still here today. There was a lot of other Uber for lawn care ideas that were funded. Probably, you know, two or three hundred million dollars of venture capital went towards this space. I think nine out of 10 of those companies are now out of business. So that's one of the reasons why mm -hmm. we're still here today is because we self-funded it. We just focused in, on one thing, keeping people happy happy to come back and use the service and keeping vendors happy to let them come back and use the service. And we had to because we mm -hmm. needed that revenue to keep the lights on. Whereas when you go mm -hmm. and raise $20 million, in a weird way, it can enable you to do everything but that. For us, slow and low and just, just focusing on customers was in a decade of time was how we got to where we yeah. are. You're listening to the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, where we interview top marketing leaders at high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest growing, most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online, a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, H-O-P.online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, my guest is Brian Clayton, and Brian is the CEO and co-founder of GreenPal, an online marketplace that connects homeowners with lo local lawn care professionals. GreenPal has been called the Uber for lawn care by Entrepreneur Magazine and has over 200,000 active customers, completing thousands of daily transactions. And that's probably millions of blades of grass. Before starting GreenPal, Brian founded Peachtree Inc., which is one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, growing it to over $10 million a year in annual revenue before it was acquired by Lusa Holdings in 2013. Brian's interest and expertise are related to entrepreneurship, small business growth, marketing, and bootstrapping businesses from zero revenue to profitability and exit. So Brian, it's really great to have you. Welcome to the show. I think one of the most unique and interesting aspects of your story is two aspects, I believe. One is bootstrapping a startup, and the other is, is making a transition from a more traditional blue-collar entrepreneurial experience to a tech startup. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you were able to transition, and with what core skills did your first experience give you that allowed you to transition from blue-collar entrepreneurship success story into what's now GreenPal, which is a tech startup? Yeah, thanks for asking. That's a that's a great question. It was challenging. So my first business was a landscaping company. And so I started mowing yards in high school. I was actually forced into the business on a hot summer day by my dad. He got tired of watching me play Nintendo all day. He said, hey, get off your butt. I got a gig for you. You're going to go mow the neighbor's yard made me go cut the neighbor's grass. And uh, ever since I got paid $20 for an hour's worth of work, and after that, I was hooked. Entrepreneur for the rest of my life. I never, never looked back. And uh, stuck with that little lawn mowing business all through high school and in college. And after college, I had to make a decision. You know, was I going to go into the job market or stick with this lawn care company? And I decided, hey, see how far I can take this thing. And ended up growing it to about 150 employees, uh, over 10 million a year in revenue. And then in 2013, that, that business was acquired by a national company in the industry. So growing that company is from me and a push mower to me and a hundred some odd trucks every day. I learned a lot about how to get a business going, how to scale a company, how to lead a team. 
and when I sold it, I thought I knew everything there was to know about small business. And I, and I kind of had a chip on my shoulder and I thought, well, I, I want to start another company, but I don't want to do something that was hard. Like that was, I want to do something that's easy. I want to start a software company because it'll be so much easier. And boy, I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, I had an idea. I thought, you know, there needs to be an app that you should just push a button and somebody should come to your yard. And so I kind of had the authenticity as a competitive advantage. I knew the industry inside and out, and I knew somebody was going to build an app to make it all happen. I figured, why not me and, and, and a couple of my co-founders? And I didn't really understand how challenging it was going to be. And, and luckily, I didn't, or I never would have done it. But two co-founders and I got in the trenches and we started working on the first version of the app. And little by little, we made it better and better and better. And now GreenPal is a 10-year overnight success. We're nationwide in the United States. 32,000 contractors use it to run their lawn mowing business. And around 300,000 homeowners use it to order lawn mowing services. And we, we're driving to a million. We want to get to a million users. That's our next goal. So that's 22 yeah. years in kind of one industry, seeing it from the blue-collar side and now the tech side. And, and in evolving from a blue-collar entrepreneur to a tech entrepreneur in, in, the, in the same industry. Yeah. Well, that, that's a great story. And I have a little story of my own to share because probably the first job that I also had was, was cutting lawns in New Orleans, Louisiana, where I grew up. Hot. And the, the <laughs> heat, yeah, the heat. I remember, I remember even, uh, I remember even passing out uh, on the job oh, yeah. due to the heat in, in, in a bunch of, in this bed of cut grass and, and the grass <laughs> was all stuck to me because I was sweating. And, uh, after that I thought, well, um, this is character building stuff, yes. but I, I don't want to be doing this my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> the lawn mowing business. I think can, I was 15 at the time. <laughs> the lawn mowing business can teach any budding entrepreneur the virtues you'll need to succeed in any business. That's what's awesome about yeah. it. But I think what is interesting and what I got from, from looking at both of these businesses, the common thread is that there's a pain point. There's a customer pain point of reliability, which mm. is this is a type of job where you never really know what you're going to get, who's going to show up if they show up at all. What's the quality of service you're going to get? Is it going to be is it going to be high quality? Are you going to pay the right amount? I think that the lack of reliability and trustworthiness in the, especially in lawn care is something that it sounds like you put your finger on with with the first business with Peachtree and then you solved it with the traditional blue collar business of providing a really high quality professional reliable service and then realize well everybody should have access to this and I can't do this for the whole nation and then you decided let's do an app that aggregates all the professionals like Peachtree into one marketplace and gives this level of professionalism to everybody is that the common theme yeah well Paris you you, you nailed it. And it wasn't obvious to us when we started GreenPal. That's what it, that's what the value proposition became. When I started GreenPal, I came to the business with the mindset of a contractor. And so when you have the contractor hat on, you always think that customers want the cheapest price because we were always getting like, we were always losing business to cheaper competitors. And so we thought, okay, well, we're going to build a marketplace that enables a competitive dynamic where a homeowner can get five free competitive quotes in a matter of minutes and hire the cheapest price. That's what we started day one with. That's what we thought. And after we hustled up our first couple hundred customers, we started to understand that it wasn't price. It was reliability. It was when I hire Joe's lawn care and odd jobs to be there on Thursday, I want him to be there on Thursday. And like there was this weird like case of the disappearing lawn guy that occurs in the industry. Like these guys don't show up. 
up, they flake, they go out of business, whatever, and they don't honor the commitment that they gave to their clientele. And so that's what we came to understand really early on that that was the value proposition was solving the mystery of the disappearing lawn guy at a fair price mm-hmm. is what we do for homeowners. For contractors, we give them a platform to run all of their business, get all the customers they want, get paid within 24 hours. So there's two sets of value proposition, but that is not what we started with. We started with cheapest price possible. And when we started talking with, with homeowners, we never heard, oh, well, I tried your service because I thought I could save five bucks a lawn mowing. We never heard that. Mm-hmm. We always heard, yeah. I called 10 people at a Craigslist and Facebook and I found your website and out of desperation, I tried it out and it actually worked. You know, that's what we heard. So it was reliability and speed is the problem we mm-hmm. solved for consumers. Yeah. Excellent. Were you ever tempted and maybe have you been thinking about now that you've gone so deep in this vertical of lawn care and you've got this platform, this this great marketplace that brings together the providers and the customers, isn't it a natural thing to think about pivoting or expanding into the next adjacent category like landscaping or uh, other home services? It's tempting. And some platforms do it with success. But what I have found is when you're introducing a new product into the marketplace, you know, we're on year 10, but we're still a new product. We're not the default way you get lawn mowing done. And so when you're introducing a new product into the marketplace, you have to be 10 times better than the the status quo. We have to be 10 times faster, quicker, easier, more reliable, in and more cost effective than just picking up the phone and dialing for dollars or calling somebody out of Angie's List or Facebook or Home Advisor or or wherever. So so to be that 10x better, we focus on just this one use case. I push a button, I get competitive prices, I hire a guy or a gal, and she comes out the same day or next day and actually does a service, does a good job. And that relentless focus on making it quicker, faster, cheaper, smoother forces us to be focused on one use case. You really Mm -hmm. can't be the best in the world at multiple things uh, until you're a huge mature company. And so that's what we focus on. And the other reason is there's still so much more white space. Like it's a $90 billion industry. You wouldn't think it is, but it's like almost a hundred billion dollar industry and and growing. We're talking about the industry of lawn care in the US? Yeah, lawn care in the $90 billion industry. And so I had and, no idea. And so we're doing like close to 30 million a year in revenue and we're not even a drop in the bucket in the, in the amount of grass that's being mowed. And so it's like, mm-hmm. there's so much more opportunity in what we're already are the best in the world at our core competency. Let's just keep doing more mm-hmm. of that, distributing more of that into more people's hands. Yeah. That's our strategy. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Especially with that amount of white space, as you said, you've penetrated a tiny, tiny fraction of the addressable market. Exactly. So keep going vertical before you go horizontal. That's that's what we're thinking too. A lot, a lot more territory to conquer. A lot more, a lot more lawns out there. Let's move over to the marketing side because I also really like connecting the dots between your first business and your second business because your first business, you were you were the company now that you empower through your platform. How did you market with Peachtree? How did you how did you do marketing then versus how do you do marketing now with the software tech platform? Yeah, it's a good question. So when I was when I was starting the, the landscaping business, Peachtree, it was probably year five after I got maybe five or ten employees that I had become to understand that I wasn't in the lawn mowing business. I wasn't in the landscaping business. I was actually in the sales business. And I needed to develop a sales machine, a sales strategy, a sales team at the core of the business if we were ever going to get it like over a million a year in revenue. At the time, I think I was doing a million, maybe two million a year in revenue. I wanted to get to 10 and I thought I'm never going to get there 
unless I have some sort of repeatable process in terms of sales and to prospecting, presenting, closing, and keeping customers uh, in, in our portfolio. And so that took probably three years to figure out. And I kind of just did everything myself for a long time and then figured out ways to bring people in and delegate it. And so that was very much an outbound sales systems to make that business mm -hmm. tick. When I sold it, and one of the reasons I was able to get it acquired was because we had that repeatable sales system. I had to, I had to kind of learn everything all over again with GreenPal because you know we're we're touching thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, and and so we don't do that hands-on uh, sales process anymore. I mean, we did with the first couple hundred customers to figure out if we were on the right track. But after we started scaling just a little bit, we had to figure out some sort of way to attract people to the platform, move consumers to the platform in a scalable manner, and we tested everything. We tried Facebook ads, we tried Instagram ads, Twitter ads, regular TV and radio and boards and all kinds of stuff. The only thing that we figured that worked for us was just organic search. Every time we talked to our customers, they always said, well, I found you guys just by Googling uh, lawn care services nearby me and you were on the third page, but literally I called everybody before you and uh, and I just how I stumbled upon your website. And so it was through talking mm -hmm. to people that we came to understand that, man, maybe we should just like lean in the organic search. And the one thing that, that really surprised me was we had spent all of this work building the platform, building the mobile app, building the pricing system, building the billing system, building the scheduling system, building all of this like homegrown internal technology. And then we have to do all of like that that amount of work over again to be good at SEO. Like it was as much work, if not more, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like I was just astounded yeah. as to how challenging it is to compete in that channel. Essentially we, we had to become a media company. We published so much content in terms of the best lawn mowing services in every city that we operate in gardening tips, landscaping tips, lawn care tips, grass cutting tips. But we essentially were like a miniature media company with an app that can help you get lawn mowing service is what it takes to compete in the organic search. But luckily we made that bet early on because now we're here and it took us like two or three years to get some momentum, but now we're in year 10 and that's how over half of the people that use our platform find out about us. Yeah. And how successful were you in SEO once you, when you finally got a good handle on it? Can you share any kind of rankings that you were able to achieve within uh, different cities, organic rankings? So, so the, the only reason why we're here today is because we focused on one city for a very long time. Because what I thought was, well, we just need to get it working in our hometown end to end in terms of like somebody hires somebody to come mow their yard and they show up on the day they're supposed to and actually do a good job and follow the protocol. Like as, as simple as that sounds, that was really difficult to nail that customer experience. So that took two or three years. And the other thing was figuring out SEO and competing. We just focused on one city. And so it was, that was Nashville, Tennessee, where, where we're from. And so Nashville and in all of the surrounding suburbs around Nashville, and it was probably a year that we went from maybe a 10 signups a day to about a hundred signups a day in, in, in one city in Nashville. Now we have thousands, but so it took us two or three years to figure that out. And then we had to like figure all of that out to go to city by city. Do we need to be there? Do we need an office? Do we not? Like, how does that work? And so we, so our, our second city was Tampa, Florida, and we, we figured out a way to rank pages for Tampa and the surrounding metros. And then after our third city, Atlanta, we kind of developed a little bit of a playbook, a repeatable playbook. Okay, this is how we start a new city. We get 20 contractors onto the platform. We interview all of them. We write great content about all of them. We talk to the local ABC, NBC, Fox, and CBS affiliates. We get covered in the newspaper. We talk to the mommy bloggers in, in the city, and we get links pointing to these pages from, like that. from these yeah. local sources. And so that was like the little repeatable Play playbook that we repeated, you know, 150 times, you know, in the top 150 cities throughout the country. 
And uh, it took us a while to figure it out, but we went from 10 signups a day to 100. And then, you know, I think in year four or five, we started getting around 500 signups a day. And so now, now we get well over 1,000, sometimes 2,000 signups a day. That's awesome. This is, now we're going to get in the SEO weeds a little bit, but I love that the mommy blogger part of that strategy because that's links. And these are authentic, real editorial style links. And the question that I have, it's a little bit technical, but when you went into a new city, would you launch that under the primary domain, the green pal domain or the subdirectory or a subfolder for the city? Or would you launch a separate site root domain for that city? Or how did you approach that? Luckily, uh, we, we were able to learn early on that to compete in uh, what they call like this nationwide local, like national local type of SEO, because we're, we're competing you know, for 150 different cities on a local level. Yeah. One way to compete in that market is to have an authoritative domain. So you have to have a domain that has lots of mentions all over the internet, lots of coverage in the press, lots of different websites talking about it and pointing links back to it to make it authoritative in Google's eyes and to have everything housed under one domain. So we understood that really early. So, so as we, you know, yourgreenpod.com backslash lawn care San Diego, backslash lawn care Nebraska, backslash lawn care Nashville, one domain for all of the sub sub cities, rather than saying yeah. NashvilleLawnMowing.com, which has no authority. We learned early on that in order to compete, we needed to take that strategy. And so that's how we did it. Um, Great strategy. Yeah. I, I agree with that too, from an SEO standpoint, because as you build up the authority of the root domain, it gets progressively easier to rank as you roll out more and more cities, those new pages benefit from uh, that historical authority in the root domain and you're going to get ranked faster and faster. And you probably saw that, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. And on a local level, you know, you would rather get coverage and a link from the Sacramento Bee to your Sacramento page than a link from TechCrunch or a link from Fast Company to the homepage. Those links are great. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I'll take them. But to accomplish the objective we're trying to accomplish, the local reference of, hey, here's a lawn care tip from this this lawn care company for how to winterize your, your irrigation system in Sacramento. And then here's the link going, going to the resource. is much better in terms of signaling to Google, hey, this is a local entity. This is a local resource for this thing you're looking for. So learning those nuances of this national local type of SEO took us a while. And it's a long game. It's very much a grind. It's very much a slog. Yeah, that's great. So you're combining the authority that accrues to your root domain, your primary business in greenpal.com, and you're combining that with local content and local links. That's right. And that's the key. That's right. Yeah. And take the national links when you can get them. I mean, I, you know, like we, uh, I subscribe to Hayro, help a reporter out. And so, and so oh, yeah. three times a day I'm pitching journalists on a national level. And I, and I picked up a coverage in Wall Street Journal and USA Today and Inc, Entrepreneur, you name it, off of Hayro. So that link's going to the, to the homepage, the root domain, which is great. What, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. But what's, yeah. what's really effective is that local Fox affiliate in Wichita, Kansas, talking about lawn care services in Wichita and referencing the Wichita resource that we have for those those consumers. That's that's what's that's more effective. Yeah. And did you find that when you needed someone at the local level to appear on a, for TV coverage, did that necessitate the need to have boots on the ground and maybe a small <laughs> local presence? Absolutely. Uh so when let's say, let's say you got Wichita, Kansas or Des Moines, Iowa, and they want to do a story about a vendor that's growing their business on the platform and a mm-hmm. homeowner that's used it, you know, we got to be there. We got to be there to, to orchestrate that. You know, OK, here's the vendor that uses our platform. Here's the homeowner and, and then be on the live coverage. My co-founder has, has handled that since uh, day one. He pitches 100 journalists a day and he's probably been on TV 75 times in the last 12 months. 
and that's all he's done the last five years. He's probably been on TV two or three hundred times. Wow, that's amazing, and it sure has paid off because you—that's you, uh, what Google wants. Also, they want to serve relevant local content to, to a local community, but then their algorithms are also giving favor to to a national authority uh, to the to the big brand. So you need to build a brand and invest there, yep. and at the same time, you need to sprinkle in that local flavor. Yep. That's right. And that sounds pretty key that you had a co-founder willing to, to be on the road all the time. Yeah, because Holiday Express. you can't outsource yeah. this stuff. It has to, it has to come inside mm-hmm. from the team, uh, the DNA of the team, the authenticity, the, the grind, the, the willingness to slug it out. It's hard to outsource this stuff. You got you to have it in your DNA, in your core competency. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online a performance marketing agency focused on high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, Go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. Now, I, I love local SEO. We used to do that a lot as in our agency. We, we've gotten away from it in recent years, but the local search result page has, they have ads there, then they have a, the maps. The, there used to be seven, now there's three. Do you, did you all find a way to get any real estate in, the, in that part of the search results, the, the Google Maps? In the early days, yes. Probably our first 10 cities, we set up offices and we would rent yeah. an office in every city because we thought we had to. Mm-hmm. And so we would do that. And so we, so for a while there, we were number one in maps, number one in organic. And we started experimenting with it and we started really trying to figure out, okay, how much does the local pack actually drive to us in terms of, of signups? And we, so we started putting UTM tracking on this stuff. And what we came to realize is not that much. I think people mm-hmm. that search on Google for a local service are already in dialing for dollars mode and they don't want to click on one person that maybe is going to pick up the phone uh, or maybe give them an estimate. They, 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 they want to just solve the problem these days. Like Amazon, Uber, DoorDash, Postmates, Instacart have conditioned consumers to just push a button, get it done. And so, yeah. so the local results pack is not, if you're looking for a plumber, looking for a lawn care guy, looking for a you know, home painter, not that much different than just going to Yelp or going to Angie's List and just dialing for dollars. And so people, I guess, are conditioned to that. That, they kind of skip over that. And so we, yeah. once we started realizing that, we're like, well, shoot, man, we're spending $500 a month, sometimes $1,000 a month on an office in, in Atlanta when we don't really even need it. We thought we had to have like local staff at all these places in the early days. And then we thought, well, we really don't need it. So we started pulling back from that and started focusing mm-hmm. more on, okay, let's take that budget and let's just become more of a media company. Let's just become more of a, of a powerhouse around carpeting the internet with great content in this niche. Mm-hmm. And that gave us much more ROI than than, than trying to compete in the local pack. Yeah. That, and it's interesting that the, the way that you measured that, you said you, you put UTM tags on those links so that you could see the conversions coming from the local pack versus the 
That's right. Regular organic listings. That's right. We did that. And then we yeah. also split test cities. So we would say, mm-hmm. okay, well, Atlanta's got the local pack going. It's got reviews to the GMB there. It's got everything you want. Okay, what's a city similar to Atlanta? Well, we probably probably compare Houston to Atlanta pretty comparatively. Let's do Houston with just strictly only organic and just do more outreach to journalists, more outreach to mommy bloggers, more Houston area content, and let's see which one will win over a six month period of time. And we came to what we came to understand was it wasn't worth the investment to try to be in the local pack. And it, you would think because it's higher up on the search engine results page, it would just outperform, but but it doesn't. I think consumers mm-hmm. are. You know, if I'm looking for a plumber, I don't want to call and leave a damn voicemail. You know, like I just want to go from like search engine results to like appointment. And the local pack is really more, you're still going to have to pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Yeah, right. And in particular, when you have the immediacy of the need, I think that's a factor as well. If I'm looking for a locksmith, I'm probably locked out. Yep. And I need I need someone that I know is going to pick up the phone and then be there yep. maybe 10 minutes later. And a plumber, you know, who knows if I've got a busted pipe yep. or if uh, my place is flooded, that's an emergency. I mean, lawn care, you don't have the same immediacy of the need, but yeah, I think people are conditioned now that there are so many options out there. Why do I want to call five to 10 people to right. find the one that's the best fit? Why not let somebody do that for me and then find that one and have them contact me? Exactly. Let me play devil's advocate here, though, uh, for a second, because there are still a lot of people that like to pick up the phone there are. and have the human interaction. Have you ever considered, or maybe you have this, but having a small call center that does the same thing, but that can field telephone calls by the city and say, hey, we're Green Pal. We can, we can essentially recommend you the best fit. And that person is going to give you a call back to schedule a visit in the next 30 minutes or something. But to have a, a call center that delivers that experience? We've thought about it. We do. Now you can call us and, and, and we pick up the phone. We, you know, we, and, and, be, and it's mainly for yeah. customer support. You know, hey, I hired somebody and I texted them. They didn't text me back. You know, what's going on? And so that's why we do have phone mm-hmm. support. But we won't take orders over the phone because what we have found is that's not our customer. Our customer is the dual income, no kids, working class folks that understand by the time they mow their own yard, they're making less than minimum wage. And they just want somebody to show up once every week or two to, to come keep the city off their back, so to speak. And, and they don't want to talk to anybody. They're anywhere from 25 to 45 years old, and they just want to push a button and get it done. That's who we go after. You know, once we find that we have to talk to somebody, well, then we're your lawn care service. And we don't want to be your lawn mm-hmm. care service. We're in the business of powering you to hire somebody with a punch of your button. So we don't want to set mm-hmm. and start the relationship off with expectations mismanaged because we don't want you calling our call center every time there's an issue. We want you calling your, your lawn care service you hired. And so that's that's what works for us. You know, maybe one day once yeah. we start like having to go at attacking a different segment of the market, we might have to do that. But right now there's just so much left, so much white space for what we're already doing. Yeah. How loyal are the customers to the first vendor uh, that they hire through through your platform? One of the things that people like about the platform is the ability to try a couple of different services out quickly, easily, mm-hmm. because it's not always a good fit. Um, what we find is around 40% of the time after the first mowing goes well, they will book for mowings for the rest of the season. If it doesn't go mm-hmm. well, then they'll try and figure out somebody else to, to work with on the platform. And that's one thing they like about it is, you know, this guy showed up and he did okay, but he, he had like a, a too big of a mower for my yard and I wanted somebody else. And so that's one of the, like the secondary value propositions is the ability to try a couple different services out before you commit to one for the whole season. Yeah. 
And do you all get the residual revenue for all those bookings after the after that first introduction? Yes, that's what we're in the business as long of. As it goes to the that's right. platform. That's right. When when mm-hmm. contractors come onto our platform, they agree to our terms of service of, hey, I'm going to operate a segment or all of my business on top of GreenPal, and any customers mm-hmm. that come through here will remain with with my GreenPal portfolio. Right for the lifetime of yeah. the customer. I imagine that's that's the same kind of contract like Upwork, if you, if you know Upwork. Yeah. I, I'm sure that you, you may have some problem like they, like they do that when you meet someone that works out well, you naturally, you can go off platform and work with them direct. But I suppose that that's got to be something very strict in your terms and conditions that your partners are. It is, but the way- If, if they're the, introduced to a new client, yeah. The way we tackle it is, we don't really like try to like operate this marketplace with a heavy hand. We really try mm-hmm. to add more value than we take out. And, and so if you're a contractor, you started with GreenPal, you had five customers. At the end of your first year, you now have 100, and they're all in one place. Like all of your CRM, all of your daily routes are all in one, one app. And now you get paid within 24 hours. Like getting paid is a big pain point for, for these services because the lawn mm-hmm. care guy is the last person to get paid in the stack of household bills. And so just getting paid is, is a big pain point. And so as a contractor, mm-hmm. once you've experienced that and you've got some traction on the platform and now you've got a place for all your views and you're winning new business, you really don't want to go do it the old way. Like the gold standard of this is taking a ride to the airport and like five minutes before the exit off the end interstate, the driver pulls over and turns around and says, Hey, you know, we could each save a dollar fifty if you'll cancel this ride and you can pay me cash. You know, like nobody does that, right? And so so that's that's what yeah. that's what we're yeah. driving towards. It's like that Uber good experience where it's like you're just not gonna do it the old way. Right. Yeah, I gotcha. I mean, the ease of use and the convenience eventually is going to trump everything else, which is why you said that people aren't that cost conscious. They'll pay an extra five or 10 bucks for the great experience. Exactly. Yeah. I do have one key question for you, Brian, which I'm dying to ask you. Do you cut your own lawn? (laughs) I hate the smell of fresh cut grass. I hate hate landscaping. I hate mowing yards. If I never have to mow another well, yard that's again. That's so ironic. Yeah. I, I spent seven, when I was building my first company, I spent seven years, seven days a week mowing yards during the day and then doing sales and bookkeeping at night. So if I never have to mow another yard again, uh, that'd be fine by me. No, yeah. I, I do not. <laughs> do not, nor do I ever want to go mow another. Gr- it, must, it must give you real deep satisfaction that you're helping millions of people around the country avoid that pain that you experience. I mean, because a lot of people hate when I was a kid growing up, I used to have to cut the, there was an empty lot next door to our house. It was a big a classic lot, subdivision lot. But I, I used to have to mow that thing with a push lawnmower. It took me about an hour and a half. <laughs> awesome. And I'd have to mow the front of our house and then I'd have to move and, and, and mow the, the side lot. And somehow, well, growing up in New Orleans, even in the winter, you'd have 85 degrees and 95% humidity in, in the winter <laughs> months. And it was brutal. And it was through that experience. And then somehow I, I, I did it also with my, with my buddy in high school later. But it was also through that experience that I, I grew also such a deep, a deep uh, hatred and, oh, yeah. and disgust with cutting, cutting grass. And, and, and not, I, don't, I don't hate the smell of cut grass. I do like that. But I don't think I've mowed a, a lawn in 30 years, probably. <laughs> to, to your point, it's, it, it is nice helping people with the, with the convenience of ordering that service. But what really, mm-hmm. like why I get out of bed in the morning is helping out that small contract grow his or her business yeah. and 
getting their life back in terms of bookkeeping, organizing their routes, chasing overdue accounts, you know, that owe them money and, and, yeah. and running a business. Like, cause when I was growing my, my lawn care company, it was like half the, half the battle was doing the work. The other half was all of the stuff that comes after that, getting paid for the work, keeping everything straight and, and like with grass all over me and smelling like gasoline, sitting at the kitchen table, doing all of my books. So that's really who we're trying to help. That's really why we do what we do is helping them double, triple their business in 12 months and get their weekends back, not having to do bookkeeping. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the Google My Business profile. You said that your clients are getting reviews right on your platform on GreenPal? That's right. That's a big part mm -hmm. of what we do is because if you're out here in the wild west of running a lawn mowing business, you know, I mean, maybe you've got a GMB page, maybe you've got a Yelp page, but nobody mm -hmm. really knows if you're any good or not. Like nobody really knows if you're reliable. Like people are still taking a chance mm -hmm. on you. And so when you operate yeah. your business on GreenPal, you have one place where everything accumulates in terms of how reliable your business is. What kind of job do you do for mm -hmm. your customers? So it's not just the star review ratings that you get. We're all used to those. But we measure how often do you show up on time? How often do you show up on the day you're supposed to? How often do you get booked for a second and third mowing? And so we display these ratings on, on your profile so people can hire you through GreenPal or through your GreenPal page. And they can say, yeah, your Joe's Lawn Service is 98% reliable. 98% of the time they show up on the day they're supposed to. They got five. They got like a thousand five-star ratings. They get booked 88% of the time for a second mowing. Like there's no other place on the web or in existence where you can mm -hmm. display this amount of evidence about how reliable your business is. So that's a big part of the value that contractors get when they operate their business on top of our platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in one, one sense, you're the Uber for lawn care, but maybe you're also the, the Google My Business for lawn care too. Focusing on one because thing. you do a better job yeah. of, of, yeah, I mean, you have a much more granular view of, of competency than Google My Business, which is the simple one, one out of five stars, yeah. one through five stars and, and uh, some text that you want to write. That's a, it. A lot of signals that you can get from closing the loop on the transaction, knowing yeah. that the transaction occur and all of the passive signals. Like when a homeowner books ongoing service with a contractor, that's a passive signal that nobody explicitly said, oh, yeah. but it's a vote for the contract. That's trust. Yeah. Yeah. It says, hey, mm -hmm. she was so good or he was so good. I booked them for the whole season. And that's a signal to say, hey, this is a good contractor versus this guy or gal is only getting hired one and done over and over and over again. Maybe we should demote them or expel them from the, from the platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great stuff. What a great business. What a great story. And I want to remind our audience that you're bootstrapped in both from the first business in Peachtree, you bootstrapped that and, and you're bootstrapped so far entirely with, with GreenPal, right? That's right. Yeah. And it made the first five years really hard. But now that, you know, yeah. that we've got a good profitable business running, I'm so glad we didn't raise capital, especially now going into, you know, this uncertain time with recession and, yeah. and the capital markets drying up. You know, that's one of the reasons why we're still here today. There was a lot of other Uber for lawn care ideas that were funded. Probably, you know, two or $300 million of venture capital went towards this space. I think nine out of 10 of those companies are now out of business. So that's one of the reasons why mm -hmm. we're still here today is because we self-funded it. And how did you beat those guys that had deeper pockets? We just focused in, on one thing, keeping people happy to come back and use the service and keeping vendors happy to let them come back and use the service. And we had to because we mm -hmm. needed that revenue to keep the lights on. Whereas when you go mm -hmm. and raise $20 million, in a weird way, it can enable you to do everything but that. You go and hire yeah. a, a new product designer. You, you hire a head of culture. You hire a PR person. You know, you hire... You spend yeah. all this money on headcount. Well, you have you have the money to enable you to afford to make mistakes, right? And it might lead to carelessness, right? You know? Exactly.
Whereas if you're if the capital is scarce, you you can make some small mistakes, but you better learn quickly from them and never repeat them. And you can't really make any big ones. It's a course correcting kind of forcing yeah. function thing that gives you a monotical focus on your customers, on your users, and nothing else because mm-hmm. you need them. You know, you need them to keep the lights on. Right, right. You have yeah, that survival instinct kicks in a little more when you're not sitting on a big big pile of cash. That's right. Somebody else's cash. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. That's great because I think that a lot of the a lot of our audience are SaaS marketers. A lot of those companies are funded, but I, I do think a lot of people there's a lot of glitz and glamour associated with getting funded and the and getting talked about and get the big valuation too. And and you have validity in a sense too because then you get to really understand what your company's worth. But I do think a lot of people pull that le- lever for the wrong reasons and sometimes too soon, and they dilute themselves and it takes them down a different path. Yeah, I, I agree. Love, I love the bootstrap stories. I agree. It's definitely the pros and cons to both paths. For us, I think bootstrapping mm-hmm. was the right move. Um, there are some businesses that, you know, you have to raise capital for it. So it's like there's some where it's a good mm-hmm. fit, some that I don't think so. You know, for us, slow and low and just, just focusing on customers was in a decade of time was how we got to where we yeah. are. That's right. And the key there is also taking the long view. Yeah. Because you, you said it's a decade and you probably were prepared to slog it out for a decade in order to be where you are now. And when you raise money and it's uh, the, the clock starts ticking yes. and, and those investors and at the VC stage, you know, these guys want to get their return and move it along to the next one. That's right. Two or three years. And so there's that, 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 that's that invisible clock on the wall ticking as soon as they, as soon as they write that check. And a lot of sleepless nights. Yeah. Right. Well, great. This has been fantastic, Brian. And was there anything that I didn't ask you that you you wanted me to ask? Or is there anything else that you think that you can share that would benefit our audience? Yeah, I guess. I don't know why, but I just read the book Atomic Habits and probably should have read it when it first came out a couple of years ago. That book is about habits for like a like an effective life. But so much of that book applies to the habits of starting a business and getting a business going. And the author in the book makes one point that they studied the top performing Olympic athletes and what they became to understand was separated the 1% of the top performers from everybody else was their ability to endure boredom and to endure the boredom of like the boring training over and over and over and over again. And, and I think a lot of times when it comes to starting a new business from scratch, it's especially in the first two or three years, it's your ability to endure the boredom of sending your hundred pitches a day to journalists, writing two blog posts a day, talking to 20 customers a day. Like that's something you know you should be doing that sucks. Mm-hmm. And the boredom that comes yeah. with that, I think is a lot of what, a lot of why a lot of businesses don't get off the ground, is especially in the first two or three years. So that's a point that's like top yeah. of mind to me that really made sense to me that I like to share. That's a great insight. And that reminds me of this concept of deferred gratification. Yeah. And I think that that's also one of the keys to success in business and in life is the ability, as you put it, to withstand boredom yep. for a long period of time. But in a sense that you're, you're also delaying gratification, you're doing something that sucks today because you know it's going to pay you back in the future. And you have the ability and the discipline to stay focused on that future vision to endure the grind, the day, the day-to-day grind, the boredom and exactly. to defer the present to a better future. Exactly. It doesn't matter if you're building a business or losing weight or getting in shape or learning how to play the guitar right. or whatever, all of this stuff is really the same. Right. Well, that's a great nugget to end on, Brian. And I really appreciate the time. This was a great conversation. Had well, thank a lot you. Of fun. Thank you for having me on, and, Paris. I enjoyed uh, it. Congratulations on your success with, with both businesses. And I'm, I'll keep my eye on, on GreenPal. Yeah, I'm sure you have much more exciting times ahead of you. 
I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'll come back on when we uh, get to a million users. All right, great. Yeah, I'm going to get you back on at a million users for sure. Right on. Okay, take care, Brian. Thanks. Have a good one. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.